Today, a special episode of Return to Reason, where knowledge and wisdom intersect. My guest today is Dan Mateague, and uh, this man, a former Liberal MP for Ontario, served 18 years, uh, parliamentary secretary to the Minister of Foreign Affairs, then served as a vice chair of the Standing Committee on Industry. Uh, now he's the president for Canadians for Affordable Energy, and uh, he is so interesting, and you're going to love listening to this man talk about issues. Dan, it is so good to have you with me today. Welcome. Good to be here, Leon. Thanks for the invite. I'm going to dive right in. Uh, there has been like changes. It seems like the, the Liberal Party has evolved, and you've been a former member of Parliament there. And what changes have you seen taking place? I think it really began with the cult of personality of the leader himself, of uh, Justin Trudeau. When he took over, of course, he went out of his way to ensure that uh, a lot of the so-called older guard, uh, that would be us in their lower early 50s uh, or higher, weren't, uh, were heard but not seen and, uh, and, and uh, on a need-to-know basis only. I think what the uh, changeover really did was a reflection of the fact that he wanted a party that was about him not about the liberal values of uh, national unity, uh, things uh, like the big tent uh, party, the seeking of what that word, that very famous word we see used a lot in the liberal party, consensus. Uh, it was really about uh, divide and conquer. It was really about uh, polarization. It was really about, uh, you know, you agree with me or you're, you're not here. And it was also about something that I found unusual about the liberal party uh, in my time. That's the ability for members of parliament to act as members of parliament as uh, representatives of their constituents within the party. It was really the other way around. Handpicked by the leader, that's not un unusual, but handpicked more for their, for their willingness to be quiet, not to speak out on issues that are of significant concern either to themselves personally or to their constituents. Uh, this is not something, of course, Mr. Trudeau invented. It had been done by the previous leader, uh, Prime Minister Harper, and uh, one would even suggest going back to the days of Pierre Elliott Trudeau himself and his comments about uh, members of Parliament being nobodies 50 feet away from the House of Commons. What distinguishes Mr. Trudeau from anything else is his, uh, you know, his re almost religious fervor uh, in clinging to his, uh, his notions of virtue signaling, of identity politics, and that's manifest in a number of, uh, of policy fronts. Uh, there isn't really a, an accommodating leadership uh, or, or, or elements of characteristics of uh, accommodation uh, for this leader. It's his way or the highway, and quite often it's led to uh, you know significant uh, damage to the reputation of the Liberal Party, as many of us understood it, those of us who worked for it for almost four decades. So would you consider this less a party of Canada and kind of more globalist? Not sure if I would call it globalist. I suspect that it has a lot more to do with uh, where they can get the best votes. Not every party does this, but the divide between you know uh, between age, between regions, uh, you know, is pretty significant. Between industries themselves, the winners and the and, and the losers, uh, you know, and 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 with no observation of any kind of fiscal discipline. Uh, there's no doubt Mr. Trudeau appreciates and, and gravitates towards international fame. Um, but beyond that, uh, there isn't a whole lot to attach him to anything internationally. As we've done, Canada used to punch above its weight as the word were. Uh, we had a very strong consular dimension. I know a little bit about that because I was personally involved with creating that, uh, that kind of impetus. 
there was also a, a degree of, you know, of even handedness where we would, could be seen as reliable on a number of fronts uh, to our international allies. Today, it's, uh, you know, follow the leader. What's the latest flavor of the day? And of course, deviation from that uh, is scorned. And that's just not something a diverse, geographically sparse nation like Canada can afford to do. But yet that's primarily what I think the Prime Minister has done. Whether it's a globalist agenda or not, I think that invites a number of questions about uh, on whose interest is the Prime Minister uh, you know, uh, leading and, and on which basis does he exercise power. And I have to say it has had a lot to do with the 905, the GTA. It doesn't have to do with the rest of the country to a large extent. But that urban, rural, east-west divide uh, is pretty substantial. And all the things that Liberals like myself took uh, as uh, a shibboleths of the, of the party that we are, things like the, car the Charter, the Constitution, have been sort of set aside selectively. Uh, in order to create uh, the kind of environment that he wants to govern in. And I think, unfortunately, uh, the country is is badly divided in a way that I have uh, could never have thought possible uh, without uh, war or apprehension or some kind of insurrection. With the uh, Freedom Convoy and how it has gained, I mean, international attention is huge. What are your thoughts on that, the international community looking at Canada? Well, I think it's long overdue. I mean, we've given a, and tried to project uh, that everything's just fine here when it's not. Look, this whole element of whether you agree or disagree with what the Freedom Convoy did or tried to achieve uh, is not as meaningful as the first question as to why the Prime Minister or his MPs or his cabinet ministers didn't at first try to, you know, to, to find some common ground uh, in an environment where, you know, you were politicizing the vaccine, where you were basically, uh, you know, creating a an impossible situation for for many people uh, on, you know, your your uh, rigorous uh, connection to or, or enforcement of the uh, vaccine mandates. There was a lot in that as well. I mean, there's a significant amount of discontent, energy prices being the most, uh, uh, you know, obvious other issue that was raised in the past, members of parliament would have reached out and at least try to find some kind of ability to mm -hmm. have a dialogue. Right. Above all, show some respect. These are Canadians. These are, uh, whether we agree or disagree with them, uh, they took the prime minister's way of doing things, divide and conquer, my way or the highway, damn the torpedoes, call people names, uh, you know, do your virtue signaling, then ram through legislation that is unbecoming of a country that uh, cherishes freedoms and a standard a standard of, 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 of liberties that I think few countries could, could boast. At the same time, had the Prime Minister spent the time originally, or at least sent emissaries to talk to uh, to those involved in this convoy, I think at least the Liberals could have inoculated themselves against the idea uh, that they just weren't prepared to talk at all and it was going to be their way from the beginning. We saw the Prime Minister you know, flee, basically. Ottawa did not stick around, wasn't interested, and as a result uh, has created, I think, a far greater sense of discontent in Canada than at any time I recall being alive. This is, uh, uh, this is not a good time uh, in the country, and I think this, he's absolutely the wrong leader to have at precisely the wrong time. So when you look at the Emergency Measures Act being invoked, um, what do you think it's going to do to Trudeau for the future? What, what, what kind of a, a backlash is he going to have with this? He's going to go, double down with his uh, with his cult-like following, uh, and I can see it on Twitter. I'm hammering them left and right. 
they're shocked that I was a liberal for 18 years. Shocked that I was a liberal in the trenches for 40 years or 38 years, yeah. 78. I'm giving the idea when I left in 2014. Uh, and I left because of Justin Trudeau, not just because of the, the, the positions. This is a fellow who could never tolerate anybody bringing up a, a strong argument. Unlike his father, who I worked for back in 1981, 82, uh, as, a, as a young intern on Parliament Hill, uh, you wanted to have a scrap with this guy in a debate. You better have your your act your your, your act together. Uh, this guy can't take it uh, because he's really micromanaged by a handful of people around him, uh, and isn't uh, well versed in a debate unless it comes to virtue signaling or you know uh, trying to uh, bait people by uh, by name calling. I think the problem we see coming out of this particular measure is that it is uh, very random, very selective, very conditional, very arbitrary. These powers are not to be exercised in an arbitrary way, uh, but it does, I think, remind everybody that a vote for the NDP is a vote for the Liberals, a vote for the Liberals is a vote for the NDP. But where do you draw the line? Is it just because it's a convoy? Because if it was about the convoy, uh, then I can honestly say we should have been concerned. And we did, in fact, respond uh, very effectively at, uh, you know, at Coots, at uh, Emerson and at uh, the Ambassador Bridge in, in Windsor. Uh, and we didn't need those extraordinary powers. And the randomness, the arbitrariness on which they are exercised. Why isn't this being used? Why wasn't this used prior to the pandemic when you know rail blockades and others were costing the Canadian economy $300 million a day, far greater than anything we saw in the Ambassador Bridge, or for that matter, the terrorist activity that we're seeing plotted against our natural resources sectors we saw with the coastal gas link on the week. Uh, to me, uh, it is really uh, not about principle. It is not about uh, addressing a perceived problem in Canada. This really is about liberals uh, or Trudeau cultists, as I refer to them as, uh, trying to met some kind of revenge on people who happen to disagree with them ideologically and democratically. Energy is expensive in Canada. Why is that when you take a look at, you know, oil and gas and, and then this clean energy movement? Talk a little bit about that. Well, it's very simple. The Liberals have made it that way under Trudeau. In my time, Liberals actually cared about it, a strong energy sector, help pay down the bills. We saw the expansion of our oil and gas sector. And yes, we, we had responsibilities to the environment. They certainly weren't overwhelming in the sense that they were decided that that was the only issue on which you could uh, you could grow the economy or at least you know pay your way out of the massive debt we had incurred over the years before. Look, the oil and gas sector, like it or not, I took them on as a member of parliament because of what they were doing to independent gas retailers. So I put my cards on the table. I'm not owned by them. I'm not owed. They don't owe me anything. I, I went after them with everything I had, but I certainly didn't go from a perspective of trying to destroy this industry. Why? Because that industry produces 25 billion bucks in revenues that municipalities here in Ontario, let me just make put on the record, and many other places and provincial governments and federal governments need. Uh, folks, it goes to pay for your hospitals. It pays for your roads, your education, your social infrastructure, and it provides you know, a significant amount of interest globally at a time when energy demand is going through the roof, especially for hydrocarbons, Canada's well-placed to deliver, but has uh, destroyed our ability to make those deliveries uh, because we have uh, undertaken measures, direct measures to make international globally funded organizations happy. Uh, by blocking pipelines, by imposing regulations, by going down this road of what, what I call woke capitalists playing their little game of pulling back capital expenditures uh, for the oil and gas sector. So now you have a problem in Canada 
that is reflected around the world, but perhaps worse in Canada. Let me explain very simply. When you uh, undertake uh, and undermine the oil and gas sector, you also uh, do so by at the risk of uh, decreasing the value of the Canadian dollar. We used to be the petrodollar when oil was last in the $90 range. In other words, we pretty much, because every, every product we have in this country is priced in US dollars, the last time we saw it, $90 a barrel, the Canadian dollar is on parity. That alone has saved people about 15 cents a litre. The inflationary spiral that we're seeing, it's not just on energy, but it's now cascading into other aspects of the economy, isn't just because we're not you know, making enough cars, used cars are going through the roof and real estate. It has a lot to do, the fact, to do with the fact that we can no longer attract private capital from around the world, safe and except residential capital. Uh, this country is in a very serious uh, problem, but listen, don't take my word for it. I happened to come across this a little while ago and it's from the National Bank of Canada. It's a special report written by their economics and strategy of Stéphane Marion. Canada can't afford to bleed capital like this. And they very clearly point out manufacturing, agriculture, and energy are the main reasons why prices are going through the roof and that uh, we're failing as a country to attract the capital we need to, uh, to create the kind of growth that we desperately need at a time which we're coming out of this pandemic. Another question, how has China grown relationships with Canadian politicians? I mean, this is something that, uh, uh, you know, previous uh, uh, CSIS director, Richard Fadden, had talked about, uh, about concerns about, uh, uh, you know, our coming under, our, our representatives coming under the spell of the influence of foreign actors. And that isn't just, you know, directly, it's also indirectly where we have a number of uh, individuals uh, who act as uh, uh, soft agents, if you will, for you know the Chinese government, particularly when it comes to politics, uh, particularly when it comes to choosing which candidates are going to be allowed to be elected in ridings in which there is still a very strong connection by some to, to Beijing and others who are intimidated. I think it's a very serious problem that uh, many Canadians just sort of shrug their shoulders and say, what else can, can go wrong? When you don't have a very precise policy and you... Uh, you dither, as you see with this prime minister on issues like 5G and Huawei, uh, when you, uh, you know, as it were, aren't prepared to stand up to, uh, to that regime uh, in many other ways in which Canada ought to be a little bit more willing to flex its, you know, its at least its diplomatic muscle, then don't expect the, uh, you know, any kind of uh, result, re response by China other than the fact that they see in many respects that Canada is a, uh, you know, just a, a soft target. And I think for that reason, this prime minister has made some very unfortunate comments, very intemperate comments, uh, his admiration for the system. We all know the basic uh, dictatorship. I'm wondering just how close that, you know, slip of the tongue is now becoming prophetic. Uh, at a time in which I think many Canadians are starting to see this uh, man as nothing more uh, than a person seeking uh, tyrannical powers, uh, which might be acceptable in China, but they sure they sure as heck shouldn't be acceptable here in Canada. When you look at, I mean, the Liberals across the country, any advice to them um, with what's going on? I think there's going to be a, a significant dramatic shift in um, the attitude of liberals. If not, then they will be defeated in the next uh, couple of elections. When that will happen, I'm not sure. I think for me, this comes down to not being a conservative card-carrying member, although I have said I appreciate their policies look a whole lot more like the Liberal Party that I remembered uh, and, and, and served. I think what's going to happen is that the 
uh, once the conservatives have divorced themselves from policies that are on the left, that are NDP, green, uh, liberal, and start standing up for their own values and their own policies, and damn the torpedoes, I think they're going to get a lot of respect from people here in Ontario. The idea, which we all know, of trying to you know, say that we can do without some votes in the West while gaining votes in the East. Well, I had one of those Eastern 905 ridings, so there's no way into the sun. You're going to convince hardcore uh, you know, socialist people on the left uh, who could easily vote Liberal or NDP, as we saw in 2011. I was defeated in that period of time. Uh, so I know that these people, uh, true to heart, they see liberalism as just spend your way out of a problem, virtue signal, attack your 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 opponents by, you know, uh, labeling them. It's a wonderful little thing, you know, tar them with the same brush. Eastern Canadians have tolerated a lot from Trudeau, and I think that's about to change, especially here in urban centres, as the reality of higher prices uh, and a government that seeks censorship, uh, a government that seeks tyrannical powers versus consensus becomes pretty apparent to every single Canadian, no matter the level of ignorance. Wow. What can you tell me about the, the Russia-Ukraine tension? Any, uh, any thoughts on that one? Well, I mean, look, uh, if I were to say that this is likely Canada's moment. What I meant, what I mean by that is the opportunity for us to, uh, to, uh, you know, to supplement what Russia is taking off the table in terms of natural gas and oil uh, is something that we should be trying to strive and achieve uh, in the next, uh, in the next three to five years, regardless of what happens now between, uh, you know, a sovereign nation having its sovereign, you know, territory, its integrity of its territories, uh, assailed by Russia. At the end of the day, part of the reason, and a big part of the reason Putin can do these things is because he is confident Europe and other parts of the world are on their knees and desperately need what he has. And if they don't want what he has, he's willing to sell it to the, you know, the Chinas of this world uh, who can consume all that they want. At the end of all this, though, we should have been in the game. Uh, Canada shouldn't just be lagging behind, you know, U.S. Uh, LNG or uh, for that matter, uh, you know, UAW or for Oman or for, you know, for any part of the world that uh, that supplies LNG like Australia, Canada could and should and must be in the position where it can uh, it can provide, uh, you know, the bulk, if not uh, a significant amount of of, of the uh, of the energy uh, that would be taken off the table. We can make Russia irrelevant, less powerful if, in fact, we were to restore wow. the idea, the notion that we need energy, global energy security. And that means supplied by a democratic nation versus, you know, an enlightened despot like uh, like Vladimir Putin. Last question, Dan, this is good. Look, what does Canada need to do now? I mean, as far as the citizens from coast to coast, because I mean, across the parties, everybody seems to be concerned. Well, I, look, I'm going to go to what I know works, and that's it's not climate. It's not COVID. It's affordability. Uh, this country cannot survive nor be attractive if what its best offerings are assailed uh, by duplicitous types in this country who are nothing short of green grifters looking after their own interests, driving up the price of everything on the false assumption that A, Canada can do something about it, B, that Canada isn't already doing something about it. I come from a riding that had the first commercial nuclear power generators in all of North America. Ontario used to wow. beat every jurisdiction in North America with hydro costs. So we did it in oil. We did it with natural gas. We did it uh, on a number of fronts. Let's start celebrating and investing in what uh, is important to Canadians. And you know what? The federal government has got to act like the federal government. If one province wants to say we're out, 
or do a BC uh, where they stop a pipeline, costing the price to go through the roof such as to make it uneconomical, or Quebec, which receives billions of dollars in equalization, doesn't want uh, you know natural gas uh, or other pipelines to go through, fine, just say so. But at the end of the day, if you're not going to be part of the uh, of building a stronger Canada, uh, then perhaps, as Pierre-Elliott Trudeau said, maybe the federal government has been reduced to the role of head waiter, catering to the demands of regional powers and regional fiefdoms that are destroying this country. Return to Reason is supported by our fans. We are not handcuffed by advertisers or shareholders. The need for media with integrity is more important than ever. Consider becoming a partner and fueling the unheard truth by visiting returntoreason.tv.